Colossians chapter 1. This is our fourth Advent sermon. The new baby pushed it back a week, so we can celebrate Christmas a little bit longer. But I, this is sort of the culmination of the chapter and the work that Christ came to do in his birth. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. The theme of the passage is reconciliation, but it's based on the previous verse we looked at before, talking about who Jesus is. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is God. Jesus is God on in the flesh. He is the head of everything. He is completely God, and he's man. So knowing who God Christ is, then we come to this verse. In verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This first chapter of Colossians is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible because it brings everything together. It tells you who Jesus is and what he did. Christianity is not about a way of living. It's not about an outlook on life. It's about God became flesh, born in a manger, grew up, and did something. And what he did matters. And so what this passage talks about, it's, it's about reconciling God and man. We sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, God and man reconciled. What's that mean? It came from this passage. So the meaning of Christmas, you know, movies and books and stories, all about the meaning of Christmas. And so it's important for us as Christians to know what Christmas means. It's foundational to Christianity. We can't just sort of absorb culture and absorb the meaning. We have to be able to understand it and articulate it. So in the world, when you sort of look out what the world believes, Western world especially, Christmas means if we really work hard, we can make the world a better place. If we really work hard together, we can make the world a better place. Uh, there's a song came out in 1985 called We Are the World. Uh, it was a huge hit, and it was to help uh, people in need. And then they had the, the concert, Live Aid. Some of you may remember it. Uh, some of us were alive, but didn't remember it. But Live Aid and the song raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's, it was huge. It was, it, I think this, the Live Aid was watched by two billion people. That's a lot of people. And they had this song called We Are the World. And this is what the world sees Christmas as. It says, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true we'll make a better day, just you and me. Isn't that motivating? You notice what it doesn't need? It doesn't need God. It doesn't need Christmas. So if Christmas is, if we really work hard together, we can make the world a better place, Jesus doesn't need to exist for that. He doesn't actually have to be born in a manger. We just have to sort of think about it and feel like he was. And there's a, there's a kind of religion that calls itself Christianity that says Jesus doesn't need to be real as long as you follow his principles. 
and just sort of the, the idea of Jesus is enough. But that's just another way of saying, you're good enough, do it on your own. Do it with other people. But the meaning of Christmas is, Jesus was God, was born on the earth, and did a work that brought man to God. Not an idea, but an actual work of reconciliation. Christmas is about reconciliation between God and man. And so in this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a need for reconciliation, the way of reconciliation, and the results of reconciliation. And this is going to apply to your life, too. You see, if we can see what God did, then we can look at our own life. How does God reconcile with man? We'll be able to see how we can reconcile with man. So we see what God did, and we follow in that pattern. So first of all, the need for reconciliation. Have you ever had a problem with someone, and you didn't know it? And maybe it goes on for a long time. You ever owed somebody money that you forgot about, but they didn't? To reconcile, there has to be a need for it, and you have to be aware of that need. So in this passage, look at verse 21. So everything up to this point has been talking about God and Christ. He is the delivered us, he is in whom we have redemption. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. He is before all things. He's the head of the body. It pleased the Father. But in verse 21, notice what switches. And you. It's a transition now. Talk about who God was. Now he's saying, and you. Let's see who you are. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, it's not going to be good. And you, who once were alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. If Christmas is to mean everything it's supposed to mean, we have to realize the need that brought Christ to earth. And so the Bible here lays out three things. Number one, you are alienated. You are cut off. The Greek word here means to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. It's used in marriages, it's used with family relationship, to be shut out, to be blocked, cut off. This is the natural human condition, is to be alone. Now, I know sometimes you're in a crowd, but you're not in the crowd. You ever felt like that? Everyone's there, but you're by yourself. Christmas is an especially tough time for people because if you have lost somebody and you see everybody else celebrating with their family, it doesn't make you feel better. It makes you feel worse. It highlights the fact that you're alone. Depression and suicides go up during the holidays because it's such a contrast between what should be and what is. That's what Christ came to address, the, the real fact that we are cut off. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, in truth, we're cut off from God. There's a famous philosopher, Martin Heidegger, 20th century, maybe the most famous philosopher, or most influential philosopher in the 20th century. If you've ever heard of existentialism, or if you've ever watched a Disney movie, you know about Heidegger. He's the source. And he said, you are what you do. That's what you are. You are because you exist. And as you get older, you can do less things. And so you have less reason for living. You are what you do. And as time goes on, you can't do as much. Therefore, you become more and more aware that death is everything. And he said, humans are homeless, alienated, radically out of place, profoundly lonely. That's an accurate description. Now, Heidegger wasn't a believer. He was an atheist. 
But that's what the Bible says. He says, you were alienated. He got it right. Humans, no matter how much they accumulate to themselves, eventually and ultimately have nothing. And we feel that sometimes more during the Christmas season than before. Augustine, who was a Christian, one of the African church fathers, he says, you have made us, keep praying to God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You see, there's something wrong in the world. Pretending everything's okay doesn't change the fact, deep inside, there's something wrong with the world. The Bible teaches that. That's what this is about. It's showing us how things actually are. We're alienated. We're cut off from God. And as a result, we're cut off from each other. Now, some people say, that's terrible. How could God do that? But look what the next thing he says. And you who were once were alienated, enemies in your mind. Enemies in your mind. The mind, word mind there means your outlook on life, your disposition, the way you view the world. You see, you're not just cut off from God. You're cut off and you want to be. The natural man says, I don't have a connection and I don't want one. I am against God. So that breaks down the sort of, we're all good people, just trying to do the best we can. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are enemies. Our disposition, our direction as a natural person is to oppose God. You see the need for reconciliation, the need for someone to come? We're not just alone and trying to get back. We're alone and we don't want to get back. We want what we want. In the end, natural man says, I'm the center of my universe, and I want it that way. And they said, well, we want God, but really we just want God to give us stuff. What can God give me? And so our status in life is cut off. Our mindset is against God. But even more, it says we're enemies in our mind by, good, by wicked works. Chrysostom, who was a uh, Eastern church father, says, you were both enemies, he says, and you did the works of enemies. You didn't just hate God. You acted on that hate. You didn't just say, I'm against God. You actively worked to tear God's kingdom down. Now, justice says when you take something, you give it back. When someone steals from your house, you don't want them to say, I'm sorry. What do you want? You want to give it back. So when we do evil works, when we do the work of an enemy, we're taking from God, corrupting God's creation. Now what? It's not just that we are against God in our hearts. It's that we are physically and actively tearing his creation apart. It's as if someone broke into your house and then burned it down. Now what? Something needs to, there needs to be restitution. Something needs to, somebody needs to pay for that house. That's who we were. We were living, we are living in God's house, speaking against him and actively tearing it apart. Now do you see why it's so important that Christ was born? Born into a world that was trying to tear it apart? Born into a world that hated him? Christ says he came unto his own, his own received him not. There's none that are righteous. There's none that are good. There are none that seek after God. By our status, we're cut off. By our hearts, we're cut off. And by our actions, we're cut off. That's the need for reconciliation. 
Working to, together to make the world a better place does not address any of those things. It doesn't change the past, it doesn't change your heart, and it doesn't change God. So, what needs to happen? Jesus needed to be born in a manger. So the way, so that's a need for reconciliation. Look at the way of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Christ, in him, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. If you wonder how bad the world is, look at the solution. God didn't send a good person to the earth. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send Moses. The world, what we had done as sinners, was so bad that the only person that could fix it was God himself. He didn't come down just because he thought it would be a nice trip or he just wanted to show his love. He came down because it was so bad that only the creator could fix it. So when it says that Jesus was the fullness, all the fullness of God was in Christ, which makes Christ God because there's nothing left. It's all the fullness. That's what it took. That's what had to happen. The way of reconciliation needed the full presence of God on earth. He couldn't send messengers. He couldn't send representatives. He had to come down himself to fix it. But the good news is that he came down to fix it. God, in all the power of the deity, came down to fix our problem. But it wasn't just the full presence of God that was needed. He couldn't come down and and guide us. You see, when someone burns your house down, you don't need them to show you how to build a new house. You need your house back. There has to be work, restitution made. So that's what happens here. He comes down to reconcile all things to himself. How? Having made peace through the blood of his cross. In verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death. It wasn't enough for God to come down to earth. You realize how, how evil the world is that even God showing up wasn't enough? He then had to give his entire life. Christ had to come down as God and then give up his life as God. The full sacrifice of Christ's life was the only thing that could cover our sin. The evil in our hearts was so great that for God to mend it and to make restitution for the evil, he had to give his own life. But again, what's the good news? It's that God gave his own life for us. The point of this passage is not how bad you are. It's how good God is. Because you're so bad, you see how good God is. It's not just sort of wallow and and like, oh, we're just terrible people. No. It's see how much Christ gave to fix the problem. The solution is not a feeling. It's not a disposition. It's an act of God. It's the man Christ Jesus literally being taken, nailed to a cross, and bled to death. That's what happened. And because of that, and because the seriousness of it, because of the worth of Christ, all the sins that have happened can be paid for. God can reconcile man, wicked man, to himself because of what Christ did. So when we see how great the sacrifice is, we see how great the reconciliation is. Lucy Shaw wrote a, a poem about Mary, as if Mary were singing this about Jesus. And so Mary sings, how, na- how native to earth as I am, so talking about Jesus in her womb, how native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. 
That's Christmas. God coming down, blinded so we could see, caught so we could be free, killed so we could live. You can't take one or the other. You have to take them together. You see the evil, but you see the solution. In the body of his flesh through death, it wasn't an idea. It wasn't a story. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't sort of an example. It was an actual body, just like ours, that was killed. And because it was just like ours, now we can be free. We can be reconciled to God. The alienation, the evil heart, the the evil works, all put on Christ and then destroyed. And if they're all put on Christ, there's nothing left for us. But one of the greatest things about this, look what it says, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You didn't go looking for God. No one went looking for God. Look at the Christmas story. What happens? An angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And Mary's like, okay. The baby's born. And what happens? The angels go to the shepherds and say, hey, there's a baby that's born. They're like, oh, we didn't know about that. The star goes to the wise men and leads them to the baby. Christmas is about God coming to you and saying, hey, you didn't want it, but I gave it to you anyway. Now come get it. God reconciled us when we were enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Reconciliation happens when somebody goes to somebody else to make it work. How do we reconcile amongst ourselves? The person who did the wrong thing doesn't have to go to the other person. You see what God did? God didn't do anything wrong. And yet he came to earth to look for us. He came and confronted us. He calls us. The Christian story, the Christmas story, is about the one who did right going to the one who did wrong so that they can be reconciled. Christ came looking for us. Not a single one of us would have ever lifted our heads up to look for God unless he looked for us first. We would have never, ever done anything towards God that was good unless he had done something good towards us. You see how profound Christmas is? It's God coming to find us when we weren't even looking for him. Coming to us, dying for us. The depth of our wickedness was so great that God says, I've got to do something so great that it won't just forgive them, but it will draw them. That's how great Christmas is. An act so magnificent that it draws people who should be enemies to Christ. The Holy Spirit goes to people grabs their hearts, and pulls them to him. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that in your sins and in your animosity, Christ was born in a manger? That in your hatred towards God and your destruction of his kingdom, that Christ died for you? That's how reconciliation happens. One person bears all the burden of the other person. All the burden of reconciliation was put on Christ. And we benefit from it. Now, you want to reconcile with other people? That's how you do it. You say, I'll take all of the burden of reconciliation. Everything you've done wrong to me, I'll bear it so that we can be reconciled together. That's Christmas. And that's a radical message that you will never hear anywhere else. Because no one else has the power of God on earth 
to help them bear those burdens. First, we see that God bore our burdens so that we can bear the very tiny burdens that people put on us. Reconciliation happens through sacrifice. And look at the results. See, it's not just that we're reconciled. We see the need for it. We see the way through Christ's burden. And look at the results. He has made peace in the body of his flesh to present you. Verse 22, to present you. This is the result. What did this death sacrifice accomplish? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, I was talking to some about this. This passage seems pretty straightforward. And if, it's, if a passage seems straightforward and you're just like, okay, I got that, it means you need to think about it more and break it apart and explode it. Complicated passages make you think, don't they? Simple passages need you to look into it a little bit. So that's what we do here. We don't just say, oh, okay, I get it, holy, blameless, above reproach. But look at the words themselves. Do you know why we believe the Bible is inspired word for word? Because each one of these words means something. They carry something from God to us. He has present you holy. Remember before what our status was? Alienated. Cut off. This is how God presents us now. Holy. Perfect. The last word is above reproach. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done. When God sees you, you're perfect. You must be treated by God as if you had never done anything wrong. You see, sometimes we're like, I hope God forgives me. God has to forgive you because he's promised to. 1 John 1, 9, we quote this a lot in our confession of prayer. If we confess our sins, he promises, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You notice the word just? You see, justice before Christ was you pay for what you broke. You break it, you buy it. But if Christ already bought it, it's not just for you to pay for it, is it? So when we receive Christ, he pays for everything so that whenever we sin, he pays for it. So when we go to God, we have to be treated like holy or God is not just. You see how justice has been reversed through Christ? It used to be you pay for your own sins. Now it's God must forgive you because of what Christ did. When you go to God, you don't need to beg for forgiveness. You don't say, oh, God, I hope you forgive me. Hope, you know he'll forgive you or he's not God. He is faithful and just to forgive us. If God won't forgive you, then he's denying Christ. God can't deny himself, so he can't deny you forgiveness. Not because of anything in us because of the work Christ did. So now we are untouchable. That word there says, above reproach. That means no one is allowed to bring anything to us that's, that's bad. You are untouchable. There's not a single accusation that will stick to you. Can, do you imagine? You know what you've done. When someone brings to God and says, look at the record. Let me show you the video of what they did. God says, I don't want to hear it. They're like, but it happens. Like They're untouchable. Nothing sticks to them because Christ paid for it. You see, reconciliation through Christ makes you untouchable to sin and Satan. You are holy now. He has now reconciled you. You are holy now. So often we're like, man, I hope we can make it. You've already made it. In God's eyes, you are holy like Christ. And until Christ is kicked out of heaven, 
you won't be either. You are as safe as Jesus himself. But God gives you more than that. He says, in the body of his flesh uh, through death to present you holy and blameless. Now, the word blameless there doesn't refer to guilt. It refers to blemishes. Many translations say unblemished. Have you ever had a blemish? Yeah, some physical deformity. I don't know. You're not tall enough. Skin doesn't look great. Blemishes. It's things that distract you, or then you see people who don't have those blemishes, and you're like, oh, wow, look how great they look. That's what God has given us. God, through Christ, has made us beautiful. He has made us beautiful. We are unblemished in his sight. We are blameless. There's nothing that God looks at on us and says, I don't like that. Because we're in Christ. You see how important this one word is? How do you feel about yourself right now? Do you feel beautiful? Do you feel loved? Do you feel worthy of love? Probably not. So God put this word in the Bible so that you would know that God has not just reconciled your sins. He's reconciled you. You now should be in Christ's presence. God wants you in front of him. God wants to look at you. God is proud of you. The creator of heaven and earth is proud of you. Not because you've done anything, but because God has made you reconciled. In Hebrews 2, it says, For Christ, who, sanctif- who both sanctifies and who, uh, those who are being sanctified, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason Christ is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. You know what the assembly is? Right here. This is the assembly that Jesus is talking about. Jesus shows up in this service right now where two or three are gathered. There is Christ. And he says to God, these are my people, and I'm not ashamed of it. I want everyone in the world to know that these are my people. We are Christ's people, and he wants everyone to know it. Why? Because we're beautiful to Christ. He's proud of us. He wants to present us to God. What do you give to God? You give your best, don't you? What does this verse say? That Christ will present us as the best thing he has to God. That's what Christmas is about. It's about taking people who are broken and worthless and reconciling them in a way that Christ will give them as a present, a gift to God. That's amazing, isn't it? That is so far outside the realm of human nature that it's hard for us to comprehend. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you that this is true. We live by faith, not by sight. We don't look blameless, and so we don't think we are. But God says we are if we're in Christ. But reconciliation is not just about individuals. It's about everything. Look what he says in verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. God didn't come down to do a halfway job. Christ doesn't do halfway jobs. He doesn't just say, well, I'm going to save some of those people and everybody else, the world, everything else is done. I can't handle it. No, he came down, he saved us spiritually, and then he's going to finish the job when he comes back. And what's that job? It's your body. It's the trees. It's the oceans. It's the sky. It's everything that's been broken down through sin. 
He's coming back to finish what he started. Romans chapter 8 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who is subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Have you ever groaned getting out of bed? That's creation groaning, saying, oh, there's something wrong. Have you ever worked really hard at your job and it didn't work out through no fault of your own? That's creation saying, oh, I tried. I did the right things, but it didn't work out. Why? Because creation is cut off from God. Frustration, our frustration is not realizing the way the world really is. Frustration is saying that should have worked. Not if we understand what God is telling us here. Creation is coming apart at the seams. Your job, your body, your life is coming apart at the seams. Your spirit is held intact by Christ, but everything else is coming apart. So for God to reconcile, he's got to fix all of that too. And that's exactly what he's promised. If Jesus is God, and if he gave up his life, then he'll fulfill the promise to give you a new body, a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. Christmas is about the entire universe being made new. If we know that Christ is God in the flesh, then that makes sense, doesn't it? When the Creator comes down to fix things, what does He fix? Everything He created. And so the Creator on earth fixes earth. This means as a Christian, you are more pessimistic than anybody in the world. The world says, let's have a big concert and we'll get 50 famous people together and we'll raise $100,000, million dollars. And a Christian's like, okay, but it's not going to work. It's not going to fix the problem. Well, if we just get just laws in place to protect people, then we can have a great nation. Nope. A Christian says no because man is corrupt. The earth, if we can just fix the environment, then we'll have a, a great place to live. No. We only delay the inevitable. And a Christian just knows that because of corruption, things are going to go badly. And we see evil and we, we shake our head and say, yes, that's what's to be expected. But a Christian is also more optimistic. You see, that so many philosophers and many thinkers have realized that truth about the world coming apart. And their answer is, live while you can. You only live once and then it's all over. But a Christian says, no, the world is going to fall apart. And then it's going to be put back together again. We are both more pessimistic and more optimistic. We see the world for what it really is, and we see Christ for who he really is. And reconciling the world to God means this world needs to be reconciled, and it will be reconciled. Christmas is about seeing the world for what it really is. Now, what's our part in this? Sometimes the Bible just wants you to look at Jesus, and that's it. Just look at him and see what he's done and rest. But sometimes it wants you to do something. And that's what his last verse says. He's going to present us, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's our part in the reconciliation. Realize that you don't need to do anything for it. Notice what he says here. You're going to make it to heaven if... That's a big if, isn't it? Considering what Christ is doing, 
I want to know what comes after the if. If you work hard, if you live a good life, if you give, if you don't sin, if you're righteous, it doesn't say any of that. It just says, if you believe. You'll make it to heaven if you believe, if you continue in the faith. God says, the world's so bad that you can't do anything, so I'll do it all for you, and you just believe. You see how easy God's made it for us? He said, you're not going to make it to heaven unless you believe. But that's the one thing we can do. We can't be perfect. We can't be sinless. We can't love God like we're supposed to. But we can believe that he, he exists. We can believe that he died for us. We can trust him to fix us. It's no works, only trust. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Chrysostom says, and observe, he lays down so far nothing burdensome nor toilsome, but faith and hope. That is, if ye continue believing that the hope of things to come is true, for this indeed is possible, but as regards virtuous living, it is not possible to avoid being shaken about, though it be but a little. So what he enjoins is not grievous. If God says, do the best you can, you can't stay there. Have you ever tried to do the best you can? How long does that last? He says, be steadfast, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away. There's only one thing that we can't be moved away from, and that's the hope of heaven. Everything else that God would require of us, we could be moved away from it, except for seeing Christ and believing him. That's what our part is. Look at Jesus. And not just look at Jesus, but look at what he's done and look what he's going to do. See, the hope. Hope is not what you have now. Hope is what you're going to have. You see, the world is falling apart, which means your job is going to disappoint you. Your family is going to disappoint you. Your body is going to disappoint you. Everything's going to disappoint you. How do you make it through? Isn't that what Christmas depression is about? The best time of the year, but it's not good enough? And you say, well, this is the best time of the year. I don't want to wait till January. But what this says is, stop looking at this world so much and look at the next one. Lift your eyes up off of the things in this world and look on the hope. Focus on the hope of the future when you will stand before God. See, some of you are doing well in life right now. Your family's doing well, your job's doing well, you're generally happy and healthy. You need to stop looking at those things and look at God. And some of you aren't doing well. And you need to look at God. The more you focus on heaven and the gospel, the less you'll be bothered by this world. The more you look at Jesus and what he's doing, what he's going to do, the less this world is going to bother you. That's Christmas. Seeing what Jesus did, what Jesus gave us, and what he's going to give us. So when it says peace on earth, it's not peace from the earth. It's peace to the earth. It's God coming out of heaven and putting peace in our hearts. And now we wait with Christ, waiting for redemption. That hope, if you focus on it, everything else will be fine. Let's pray.